Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Man, what a fun church we have. It's good to see you guys, by the way. It's good to be back. If, my name's Dave. Used to work here, but it's always my church home. No matter where God sends us, this is, this is home. And being back home with you guys today has been just such a joy. And thank you, I mean, even from a distance, the love, the prayers, the support, the, the social media um, messages and texts and all of it just saying, hey, we're, we're praying for you guys, cheering you on. It means the world. And we are for you as well. I mean, our hearts are always here. It's great, great, great to be back. And it's exciting to be kicking off this series, School of Rock. I, I just love that we're part of a church that's so fun. It's willing to think outside the box, be willing to have fun and laugh and use that as a way to bring people in. So that through that laughter and through, through that creative d- design that they could be introduced to the gospel of Christ and realize that the reason really why we're talking about the rock is because the rock is Jesus Christ himself, the, the one that we can build our lives upon. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and really throughout this whole series. But just a few quick updates um, before we go, uh, before we jump into the sermon. Somebody asked, well, how things in Texas? Things in Texas are good. Um, uh, we, we added uh, a, new, a female to the family finally. Uh, not a baby, but we do have a baby chihuahua, Chi-Chi. It's the first dress we've ever bought. So Ashley's finally was able to buy, buy a dress. She's, she's, she's a sweetie. Um, turned 40 two days ago. Said so they had the big 4-0. You guys look confused. You all thought I was older than that. I can tell you. He's only 40? He looks 50. But, you know, that's just, just how God made me. But I did turn 40. So I've been doing... Um, I've been doing a lot of old guy stuff. How many of you are at least 40 in the room? At least 40. Look at all this experience. Look at this wisdom. Don't be shy about it. I couldn't tell if your hands were going up slow because it's the old, old hand thing or if it was just like you were unsure, but you got to own it. It's awesome. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. I've been doing, just to kick it off, I've been doing a lot of old guy stuff. I've been hanging out at Costco a lot, which is fun. Always... My, my fellow old guys are always there. I've been backing into parking spaces. I don't know why. A man reaches a certain age, even though it makes no sense and saves no time, we'll spend 10 extra minutes backing it in just right. That's, I'm there. That's where I am. I wear uh, white socks with dress shoes a lot, which is really comfortable. I mean, it really is. And what, what else? I, I send email forwards. Have you ever gotten an email forward from someone younger than 40? No, you have not. I can't help it now. I'll open them up. Ten fun things to do in Gatlinburg. I got to read this. I got to share this. I need to forward this on to mom. So that's kind of, that's what 40 looks like. And we're having fun with it. Um, but I really am excited to be spending this, this weekend here. I just can't think of a better way to kick off a new decade than to come and celebrate life and celebrate all that, that Jesus is doing here at, at my home church, Stevens Creek Church. And it's great to be back. So as we jump into this series, the whole idea, the whole concept is, is that really that God is the rock, the one that we can build our lives upon. And before we jump into today's um, kind of slice of that in particular, I just want to share a few of my favorite scriptures that relate to God being our rock. And maybe if you're in a place right now where it feels like, you know, life is throwing some storms your way, um, just let these words just wash over you. I mean, just, just let them sink in. As you think about what this means in your life, these words are true. This is straight, straight from God. He wants to be this rock for you and whatever you're facing. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the rock of my salvation be exalted. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield and the power that saves me and my place of safety. And I, I, I love all those. I love that the imagery, and it's not just imagery for the sake of imagery, but it's, it's true that God is our place of safety, that he is our rock, he is our fortress, he is the one that we can go to and find that, that strength and that protection that we need no matter what life might be throwing our way. But kind of what we're going to talk about today is what can happen when we get off course and instead of looking to God to be our rock, we start looking only in our own strength. And I think this is something all of us are tempted to do. And we live in, in, in a culture and in a world where, you know, self-reliance is something that, you know, we kind of have to have. You know, we need to, need to work and we need to, to pay the bills and all those things. And it's good to work and pay the bills, by the way. But along the way, pride can start setting in and we can start believing the myth that we are our own savior. We are our own provider and protector. And we edge God out of the equation and feel like we can do it all on our own. And when that happens... We're setting ourselves up for a fall. Here's, if you're filling in the blanks, the first one. If you're not trusting in God as your rock, pride will cause you to put far too much trust in your own strength. None of us are strong enough to do all the things that God has called us to do. God intentionally puts us in situations where we cannot do it apart from his strength. The Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But I think sometimes we stop that verse before we get to the, the main point of it. I can do all things. I can do all things. And we tell ourselves that. I can do all things. But it only works if we remember the rest of that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if we're leaving out Christ, then we're leaving out the strength. If we're leaving out Christ, we're leaving out our ability to ever be able to, to take on all that life's going to throw our ways. I want to share a story of, of some folks in the Old Testament who they fell into this trap of trusting in their own strength instead of God's. They fell into this trap of feeling like they didn't need God, and their pride had them hard in their heart, not only in arrogance, but also in heartlessness towards their neighbors, who they could have helped with that strength, but instead they didn't. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. It's called Obadiah. Sounds like an Amish farmer, doesn't it? Obadiah. But... If you turn to the Old Testament, it's probably one page back there. Obadiah was a prophet, and he brought a strong warning from the Lord, a strong condemnation from the Lord against people called the Edomites. And I want to read the first few uh, verses of his book and then explain what's going on here and how this relates to us in 21st century America. The Lord said to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and bring your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. 
Now, why was the Lord so angry with these folks? What did they do? Well, I'll give you a little bit of history. But first, let me show you why they were so arrogant, why they felt so unconquerable. It's because essentially they were. Their ancient city of Petra, now in modern-day Jordan, very close to Jerusalem, where Pastor Marty and our team are, this might have been a site where they visited, um, is considered one of the wonders of the world. Carved in the mountains. Uh, they, they, they built a whole city in the mountain. They, they literally lived in a rock fortress. Let me show you some pictures. You walk up to Petra. Um, you, have to go through, you have to go through this really narrow you know, path here. So armies couldn't invade unless they came through only a couple at a time because it was such a narrow path. And they could have their guys up on the high ground shooting down uh, or waiting here at the, at the mouth of this opening. So it was nearly impossible for any kind of army to invade. And then once you did get through there, you are dealing with an actual rock fortress. I mean, it was built into the mountains. I mean, engineers are still unsure of how they were able to carve and make an entire city um, in the mountains. You go through, and, and the next picture is kind of showing some things that are still remaining, thousands of years old, of an entire you know, city and civilization that's built into the mountains. I mean, it was truly a rock fortress. And if you think that that building, the entrance looks familiar, it's probably because you've seen Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. And that movie, it wasn't just a Hollywood set. That was the building where the, the Holy Grail was hidden. Um, so that's a real place. So the Dr. Jones uh, has been there. So these guys, the Edomites, were really proud of what they had done. They worked hard. They felt safe. They felt like nobody can conquer us. That's not really all the problem, though. That alone is, is, is a slippery slope of pride, but that's not really why God is bringing this full-scale condemnation. Let me give you a little bit of background of where these folks came from. So you got to go all the way back to Genesis, and there's a, a man that's very important to our faith named Abraham. Abraham believed God, trusted God. He was just a regular guy like you and me, but he had faith. And God promised that because of that faith, that Abraham was going to be the father of a great nation. Now, Abraham wasn't sure how this was going to work because he was old, his wife was old, and they'd been barren. They had never been able to have children. And they were well past the years of, of childbearing. But at the same time, he believed God, and God promised that it's going to happen. So sure enough, as God always does, he came through on his promise. They have a little boy, and they named him Isaac. They named him Isaac because Isaac means laughter. And it was funny to them that they were old enough to be in diapers and now had one in diapers. And so they named him laughter because it's just a funny situation. So Isaac grows up and he, has, uh, he marries Rebekah. They have twin sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau fought their whole lives. They fought in the womb. They fought growing up. There was a, a fierce sibling rivalry. Now, in this ancient culture, uh, the birthright meant a lot, the, the birth order. The firstborn son had some unique blessings and rights and privileges that were just very important in that, in that culture. Esau came out first of the two twins, so he received that firstborn blessing. But as part of the whole sibling rivalry, it's something Jacob wanted. Jacob saw an opportunity. Esau was really hungry one day, and he said, I'm starving, man. Give me some of your food. And Jacob said, I'll give you this food if you give me your birthright. And Esau, just not thinking beyond the moment he was in, let his appetites drive him to make a really bad deal. And he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. And I, I use that story talking to my own kids a lot because I think it's a great parenting lesson, a great lesson for all of us that our appetites, if we're not careful, will drive us to make some terrible compromises. Our appetites will drive us to make some terrible choices. And I tell my boys, and I try, I try to remind myself, never trade temporary pleasure for permanent regret. 
Because while God forgives and he will set you free, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how dark the sin was, God will forgive you. The blood of Jesus will cover it. You're, you're forgiven. You don't need to walk around in shame. But at the same time, as we all know, it only takes one moment to do something, to make a poor choice that will have lasting impact and lasting consequences. And I just want to protect my own children from that as much as possible. Esau, he lost sight of that lesson. He said, this feels good in the moment. My appetite's all that matters to me, and I'm willing to trade my future in exchange for feeling good right now. And that's what he did. And it put those two brothers at even more fierce opposition with one another. Now, eventually, they, they reconciled later in life, but ultimately, their families, their, their herds, their whole kind of clans that they were with, they went in separate directions. Jacob became the father of the nation of Israel. In fact, God changed his name to Israel. Jacob's 12 sons became the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that promise God had made to Jacob's grandpa, Abraham, was already in full motion. The, the, the nation had been born through, the, through his family. Esau fathered a nation as well, known as the Edomites, the ones that we're reading about here. Now, they lived right next door to each other. But as years went by, they, they, they stopped looking at each other as any kind of family or even as neighbors. And they were just living in opposition with one another. Kind of, not necessarily warring, being at war, but not caring at all about what happened. The Edomites were protected in their rock fortress. They didn't care what happened to Israel. So you fast forward now to the worst period in Israel's history. It's called the Babylonian exile. Babylon came, conquered Israel, burned down Jerusalem, tore down their temple, and then took all the Jews to Babylon to be slaves. I mean, that's, that's, that's as, as bad as it gets for a nation. While this is going on, the Edomites had the, the ability to offer protection to Israel. To come and stay with us. Come and stay in our rock fortress. You'll be safe here. But instead, not only did they not help, but the Jews that tried to escape to their city, they arrested and turned them back into the Babylonians. Like, hey, some of these tried to get away. Here you go. They were, they were happy that their neighbors, their brothers, their, their family were being hauled off and... and, and Slavery. I mean, it was terrible, and they, they did nothing to stop it. And that's why God said, in your arrogance, you think that you're untouchable. You think that because you live in this rock fortress, that nobody can touch you and that you're not accountable to anybody. But because of the, your heartlessness, because that pride has led you to such heartlessness, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore Israel. You think their nation has ended because of what's just happened. This is just part of their story. I'm going to use it to bring them back to me. And I'm going to restore their nation better than ever. And they're going to exist forever. But you will not. This fortress that you're putting all your faith in is going to be completely overrun. Everything you have is going to be destroyed. And your, and your nation is going to be no more. And that's exactly what happened. History shows us. Israel's back. Strong as ever. I was there last year. They're doing fine. The Edomites are not. Their city is a tourist attraction. It's empty. There's nothing there. Their treasures are gone. Their plunder has been spread across all their enemies. They're gone. Pride led them there. And when God gives us warnings about pride, it's because he wants to prevent us from falling into those same traps. Because all of us have a temptation, I believe, to try to build a fortress of our own design that we feel like, I don't need God. I don't need anybody but me. And the more inwardly focused we become on, on providing this for ourselves and maybe for our immediate family, the more we can be hard-hearted toward everybody else. 
and that's what happened to them. And if we're not careful, that can happen to us as well. So what does this mean for us? It all starts with pride. And here's, here's the next, next line if you're filling in the blanks. Pride is a sin, but it's also, I believe, the soil where all other sin takes root. Every sin has its roots in pride. Every one. Because pride is that mentality that says, you can do things your own way. You can do whatever you want. You're not accountable to anybody. You don't have to answer for that. Just do what you want. And that little voice of pride, man, it will get us to, to justify a lot. And pride is different than confidence, by the way. I mean, God doesn't want you going through life just beating yourself up. He wants you to be confident in who you are in him. But pride is a toxic, a toxic variation of confidence. Because pride says my way is the only way. And when we get there, man, nothing good happens. The Bible has a lot to say about it. Here's one verse. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. See, God's telling you what's going to happen because he doesn't want it to happen to you. He doesn't want you to fall. He doesn't want you to end up like the Edomites. He doesn't want you to have this big fortress you've built for yourself that's just going to end up in somebody else's hands someday. He wants you secure and rooted in him and not settling for anything less. So what do we do to make sure that it doesn't happen? I, I believe it, it starts with a mentality to serve others. And that's one of the many reasons why I love this church so much, that this is a serving church. I mean, it's a church where you, you see cans of, tons of food, literally, that you guys have gathered and brought to help people right here in our community who don't have enough to eat. I mean, that is putting your faith in action. The hundreds of volunteers um, that just give of their time to, to serve our kids and, and sing songs with them and change diapers and let our kids know that, that they're loved and God has a plan for their life. Or the volunteers that are parking cars or the volunteers that are going out in the community and serving in various capacities at the Dream Center and beyond. Man, that's, that's, that's faith. And I love it. And I know that God loves it. And what you see when you serve, when you think beyond ourselves, what happens is joy happens. But when you're, you're listening to the voice of pride, there's nothing about serving that seems the least bit enticing because pride makes it all about you. So when, when pride has a grip on you, why would I, why would I give? Why would I serve? That, that's only going to help other people. That's not going to help my fortress get any bigger. And so we close ourselves off and we, just, we become so inwardly focused that we, we miss the joy that comes when we live a life with open hands instead of clenched fists, it's not a coincidence that people who serve have joy. And it's not a coincidence that the word miser and the word miserable come from the same root. If you think about the happiest people you know, I bet they're pretty selfless. And if you think about the most miserable, angry, frustrated people you know, I bet all they talk about, all they think about is themselves. See, God doesn't tell us these things because he wants to like punish us. He wants us to live a full life. And he also wants through our faith and through our lives to make an impact to other people. Like our faith isn't just about what we believe. It's about how that belief is rooted in action. And everybody around you should be better off because you're a follower of Jesus. The server at the restaurant should be better off because you're a follower of Jesus. The, the people in your family should be better off because you're a follower of Jesus. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, if you're a real Christian, even your dog should be better off because of it. And everybody, everybody should benefit from that overflow of the joy 
and service as you put your faith into action. Jesus taught about this in a really compelling way, in a way that, that painted a picture of what judgment is going to look like. Because I think we all have this, this, this idea of, of judgment day, you know, like this big courtroom scene kind of deal. And Jesus paints a, a different picture than what you might have expected. And he's, he's saying this is kind of how it's going to go down. Um, the, at the end, you know, God's going to, he's going to gather everybody together and he's going to put one group of people over here, one group of people over here. And the first group of people, he's going to say this, well done, well done. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and you look after me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I was lonely and you invited me in. And he said, then they'll look at him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or in prison? And King will say this, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. That every act of service that you did, every time you helped somebody who had no way to repay you, where it wasn't just about networking, it was truly about just loving and serving, not thinking about what you might get in return. Every time, that was me, you were serving. That was me, and I, 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 I noticed it, I loved it. I, it filled my heart to see you put your faith in me in action in that way. So come on in. Come on into the kingdom where you are sons and you are daughters and, and all, all of the kingdom is yours. Well done. But then he'll look at this second group and he'll say, I was hungry, but you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was lonely. You didn't care about me. I was, I was sick. You didn't, you didn't look after me. And they'll say, when did we see you? We would have, if, it, if we would have known it was you, of course we would have helped. And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, as, as an important side note here, this, this is not Jesus changing the whole message of, of, of the, the Bible and saying that we earn our salvation somehow. Because the clear message throughout Scripture is we cannot earn it. It comes from Christ because of what he did for us. He died in our place. We put our faith and trust in him as our savior. We follow him. And it's a gift we, re- we receive by grace to be adopted into his family. But if we've truly made that decision, if we're truly following Jesus, he's saying then that kind of real authentic faith is going to be evident by how you put that faith into action. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's not just something that I believe and nothing in my life looks different. But because I believe that it is true and because I know God is real and because I'm following him, then yes, it's going to be seen, my actions, not, not in perfection, because none, none of us on this side of heaven are, are, are going to go one day making all the right choices. But, but there's going to be a heart of wanting to help and serve others out of the overflow of that joy that Jesus has given to us. Or if we take on that mentality of pride, It'll close us off. I don't need anything from anybody and I'm not going to do anything to help anybody. And we live lives, we live lives joylessly and we live lives turning away from people who need us, just like the Edomites did. I'm safe in my rock fortress. So your problem is your problem. You got to deal with it on your own. I take care of me, you take care of you. And then we feel like self-righteous in that, but we missed the point. You know, I was in a rental car recently 
And I'm driving this rental car around, and all of a sudden, the light pops up on the dashboard that said, time to change the oil. you got to change the oil. You know what I did? Nothing. It's not my car. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not changing the oil. It's a rental car. And I, I say that because I think a lot of times we have that same rental car mentality for things where we need to think like owners. We look at the problems happening around us, and we think, it's not my problem. We look at the crisis somebody else is going in, and we're just thinking, glad that's not my problem. When Jesus is saying he wants this radical faith to take root in us, where we feel the sense of ownership and collective responsibility to help, because we're his hands and feet in this world. We are his ambassadors in this world. He said, now now do my work, continue the work I've done. I gave my whole life for you, and now I want you to put that faith in action the way that you serve and help other people. But we miss that when we take on the the pride, rock fortress mentality. It's all about self-preservation. It's all about me and my little inner circle, and everybody else can just fend for themselves. What Jesus taught, what Jesus commanded is something so different than that. We'd be willing to, to step out of the comfort of whatever fortress we built for ourselves as a way to serve. We'd be willing to invite others in. We would be willing to, to help. And I know that those seem like kind of abstract terms, and we think, well, I don't know where to start with that. Like, what, I don't, I'm one person. I have limited resources. I can't solve the world's problems. And so I get sad when I see sad stories on the news, but there's nothing really I can do about what's happening wherever that's taking place. And I think that we talk ourselves out of doing anything because we can't do everything. But we can all do something. And so I wanted to give a very specific, practical next step about how we can all do something that really will change the world. Because if you change the world for one child, then you've changed the world. And so afterwards today out in the atrium, we've got some tables set up for an organization who I just... I love, I love so much. And it's called Compassion International. And Compassion helps kids in extreme poverty all over the world through pairing them with, with a sponsor. And that sponsorship essentially just is a commitment to pray for the child, to, you know, send letters back and forth. You have the opportunity to go visit, you know, your child if, if you ever want to do that. And for a very minimum investment by most of our standards, it's a life-changing difference for them. It's 38 bucks a month less than a bottle of water a day. And these kids are in places where sometimes their whole family doesn't make that much money. It's hard as it is to imagine that by American standards. So that's the difference in them being able to have clean water and food and clothing and medical attention. And it's all rooted, it's all rooted in Christ. I mean, they're, they're, they're told, they're taught about Jesus and the love he has for them. And the kids that grow up in this program, they go on to, to make massive changes in their own countries. And we've been sponsors for many years. In fact, our first child uh, was a compassionate child. Before we even had kids of our own, we sponsored, sponsored a little girl named Athziri from Central America. And she was four at the time. And we just, we watched her grow up in, in, in pictures and in letters and um, prayed for her and cheered her on. And it was just a joy for our family to be part of that. Now, she's graduated out of the program. We sponsor two other children um, and it's just been such a joy for our, our family. It's, it's a small thing. It really does make a massive impact. And so to kind of show you what that can look like, I want to show you a video of, of a real person who, uh, who grew up in that program and the difference her sponsors made 
in her life. Let's watch this together. I am Jennifer Gitiri and I'm from Kenya. Growing up with a single parent in the slum was very, very difficult for me. Really living hand to mouth because if my mom went to look for employment or even wash other people's clothes, if she came in the evening with a dollar, that's what we would use to buy a meal and eat at that particular time. If you wake up tomorrow, there's nothing to eat, then we'd take a glass of water and run to school. But Compassion I opened a project at a church near our home. And for the first time as a young girl, I saw hope. Compassion provided for everything. They gave me books. When I was sick, Compassion would pay for my medical care. And I'm also thankful to my sponsor who was very, very encouraging. You know, just writing letters of encouragement, telling me that you can make it, you can do it. Your past should not determine your future. I believe my sponsors were God sent. When we wrote to Jennifer, it was important to let her know that we really cared about her. I just said what a mother would say, you know, we're so proud of you. We're so proud that your grade card is good and that you've done such a good job. I remember vividly our neighbor's child was raped. The child was 10 years and these were the kind of things that I saw growing up that really made me decide to be a lawyer, someone who could speak for the rights of those who cannot speak for themselves. The beginning of this year, I joined the Kenya School of Law so that now I can be admitted into the bar and become an advocate in the High Court of Kenya. This summer, I went to the United States of America to, to be an advocate. I shared passionately about my story and how my sponsors had made a difference in my life, and they were brought on stage. Here they are. It was life-changing just to, to see those two people who'd sacrificed their resources, who used to pray for me, who used to encourage me. So for, for me to see these two people was, was just amazing. Compassion gave us the opportunity to reach halfway around the world to rescue one little girl from whatever the future might have had in store for her. It makes me cry all the time when I think of how far God has brought me, you know, from the ditches of poverty to this. Compassion releases children from poverty in Jesus' name. My children will never live in poverty. My children will know the word of God. And when I look at the packets and the compassion booth, my heart is broken because 17 years ago, my face was in that packet. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good stuff. If you need to hug the person next to you, feel free to just hug or cry. No, but that's, that's real life. And the, the kids in those packets, it's not like 
you know, like a stock photo and there's, there's 50 of the same kid floating around all over the country. It's one kid per packet, one sponsor per child. And you can be that for a child. I mean, it's, it, for something that doesn't require a whole lot of sacrifice. It just requires that step of being willing to kind of come out of our own fortress and say, Lord, how can, how can I serve? Who can I help? And your own life will be changed in the process. The last time the Creek did a Compassion Sunday was a couple years ago. And we'd already were sponsored a kid and had been for years. And so I was just not really thinking much about it other than, oh, I'm glad other people are hearing this. So they can too. And so I was leaving, getting ready to not do anything. And my 11-year-old son grabbed me. He was like, where are you going? We, we've got to sponsor a kid. I'm like, buddy, we've sponsored a kid for years. He's like, but we could sponsor another one. I mean, all these kids need, need a sponsor. And he said, look, he said, and this, this kid, and I, I love him, but selflessness does not come naturally to him, right? I mean, he, I've seen him steal candy from his baby brother. Like, this, this is not... But he was so moved by the whole experience. He said, listen, I want to I work. I want to take on more chores, and I, I want to help pay to sponsor a child. Like, I want to I do this. And, and so he picked a little boy who, who had a, 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 was born almost the exact same time that, that he was. And this is my son, Cooper, now. This was, I just took this this week. And that's Japheth in Uganda. Um, Cooper keeps his picture uh, in his room and wants to go and visit him someday. And once he's old enough, we want to help make that happen because he's got this friend in, in Uganda. And they've, they've, they've been able to interact. And it's just it's amazing seeing what that's brought out in him. You know, to not only have kind of a missional heart to think beyond ourselves, but to also learn from being just ex- exposed to, you know, what some of the unique opportunities and challenges are that kids are facing in other parts of the world. And uh, it's just been a wonderful experience and one that I, I want to share. You know, I want other people to have this experience too. And I want these kids to, to get sponsors. So that's set up out in the atrium afterwards, the, the packet, you can do it all right there. Um, so, so please do that. I mean, it's, there are a lot of ways we can put our faith into action, but that's, that's a beautiful and concrete way that we can do it today that'll make a life-changing impact. I want to pray for you guys. Um, I want to pray for those here today who don't yet know Jesus. We talk about him being the rock, but maybe you've never made that decision to make him your savior, your Lord. You've never been adopted into his family by putting your faith in him. That can start today, and I want to pray for those who want to make that decision. I also want to pray for those of you that just maybe you're feeling like you're in a storm right now, a storm of any kind. And you need, you need God's presence. You know, he's always with us, but you just need to feel that, that security of knowing he is with you and he's going to carry you through because he will. He always does. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for just the heart of generosity and service that this church has inspired, um, inspired in my own family and challenged us to to step out of our own fortresses more often and, and experience the joy that comes, Lord, when when we serve the way that you called us to. Thank you that this church does that so beautifully. I pray, God, for anyone here today that doesn't yet know you in a personal way, that they today could take that step of faith that changes everything. And in their own heart, they could pray a simple prayer that says, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. Help me to be the person you created me to be. Adopt me as a son or a daughter in your family. My identity, my purpose is now in you. And for all of us, Lord, especially for those who are struggling today, behind the smiles, God, I know there's a lot of pain, that you would give strength to those who are hurting, that you would give that rock of security and safety that only you can provide, and that they would, they would be comforted in knowing that you're with them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.